Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation features lightweight construction that provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. Experience unlined perfection with the nearly undetectable Invisible Lift Demi Bra, or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44, that's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you can always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. Welcome to Go Ask Alley, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth, and you're listening to Go Ask Allie, where this season we're asking the question, how do you grow a teenager in a pandemic? We're talking all about teenagers and addiction in this week's episode. I personally don't have a lot of experience with substance abuse in my family or my close circle, but when I was a teenager, I experimented a little bit. And now, years later, I have two teenage daughters of my own, and honestly, (laughs) I'm nervous. I think other parents can relate when I say we don't want our kids getting addicted to prescription drugs, to alcohol, to vaping. I mean, first of all, juuling and vaping didn't exist when I was a kid. Um, And certainly now as teens stay indoors due to COVID-19 and keep us out of their rooms, I have to wonder how will we know if our teens are on drugs? Should we snoop through their stuff? How can we help them continue to be responsible even when we aren't around? Today, we're going to figure out how our kids are getting addicted and what we can do to stop it. My guest today is Jeanette Friedman. She's a clinical social worker, a family consultant, and a mental health and substance use disorder specialist. Before I speak to Jeanette, I once again have my daughter, Elliot Stephanopoulos, who is my go-to for all things teenager. She is a 18-year-old and wise beyond her years. And Elliot, I wanted to ask you how rampant, and you can be honest with me, how rampant is juuling and vaping in the teen world? Because, you know, when I was a teenager, the majority of my friends smoked cigarettes to be cool. Hi, mommy. Um, (laughs) I would say, like, 
every other person I know owns a jewel or like some kind of vape. Every other person you know? Like if you put me in a room of five people, like three out of five will own some sort of nicotine electronic device. And I mean, people do smoke cigarettes now because jewels and Mm -hmm. like the disposable electronic cigarettes are, are, are harder to get. So people just smoke regular cigarettes and it's also like, and did people, you just stop me. No, did people, oh my God, we are really demonstrating the parent teenager dynamic right now. My question to you is, um, did most of the people that are vaping and jeweling, did they start because these companies introduce these jewels that are cookies and cream flavor? I don't think it has anything to do with the flavors. You don't? No. You think it's the high? I think it's, it's like people are really stressed. And like you've talked about this with cigarettes, like having something in your hand. It's like for social anxiety or stress, it's something to do. So mm-hmm. I don't really think it has anything to do with the flavor. I think it's more like, ooh, I'm a teenager and I'm an experiment. And also with like the stress, social anxiety aspect, having like any kind of reliever, I guess is nice. So teenagers don't like to go to parties and just play with their stress ball? No, but it's also like flavors don't matter. No one's like, ooh, comparing flavors, want to switch. They'll just do any nicotine they have. Now, I'm about to divulge something on this podcast and you're going to tell me, no, no, no. You're going to tell me, first of all, if it's helped. I had you and your sister sign a contract. Yes. Every, that every, said, it's if you notorious don't, in my social circle. You guys signed a contract. And basically, if you guys do not do drugs. Until we're 21. Until, until you're 21, then you will be rewarded with maybe a, a trip or you know, a secondhand Honda Accord or something, but something, and you haven't so far. I'm clarifying that the contract is no, no hard drugs. And no weed. Not pot, no weed, no cocaine, no mushrooms, no LSD, none of that stuff, right? And is that, is that an incentive not to do drugs, having this contract with me and your dad? I mean, yeah, I think like both my sister and I have like, pretty bad social anxiety so I think it's one way to like avoid the pressure is to be like listen listen buddy like I'm gonna get money um Mm -hmm. so it's like a good out even though there's I haven't really experienced a lot of peer pressure I just also know myself like I'm very high strung and tend to freak out and I feel like smoking weed or doing any hard drugs would just emphasize that rather than diminish it so Yes, it will. And I also, my body, You'll hate it. my body's very sensitive because like I've already been on drugs prescription wise and I've reacted really bad to it. Like I've taken Adderall and Ritalin and all that stuff and it made me feel sick. You also had major, major back surgery, a spinal fusion, and you had to take opiates and everything for that. And that also made you sick. Yeah. So you've had bad experiences with drugs that you actually needed to take for yeah, pain. Yeah. And I've said that to people and they're like, oh, like, what do you, how do you know if you don't like it? I'm like, cause I've taken it when I'm in like severe, severe pain or like my brain literally cannot focus and it does more harm than good. Why would I do it when I'm not in pain? I know I'm still going to feel the bad effects because yes, it did help with the pain, but yes, I also had extreme side effects. Elliot. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. I love you. (laughs) And I will now turn my attention to Jeanette Friedman. She is a wealth of knowledge about everything surrounding teens and addiction. Let's get to it. 
I have so many questions for you, Jeanette. Well, I got a lot of material, so. <laughs> oh, God, I love when I hear that. Um, so let, let me just start by asking a basic question, because I want to sort of talk about what substance abuse is, how it affects the brain, and then we're going to kind of branch out to why teens do drugs, what kind of drugs, signs, how do we find mm-hmm. treatment? Mm-hmm. So first of all, how do you define substance addiction as it relates to a disorder? So one good way that I think I think to um, define it is to think of it as something that is going to interfere with adolescent development, because virtually all addiction begins in an adolescence. And then if you go, if you dive a little deeper and you look at what happens in adolescence, a lot of that is connected to early childhood. So really, the people who need to be hearing this are the parents of young children. Mm-hmm. Except that when you've got young children, you're not thinking of that. You've got other things on your mind. But in fact, when you go back and you do like a forensic uh, evaluation on how does something really start? What what happened to make this all um, develop in, in the way it did? You're looking at things like temperament. You're looking at the risk factors, um, which... Uh, are not about substances at all in the beginning. Mm-hmm. They're about temperament. They're, as I said, they're about personality development. How much of it is genetic? So genetics, there is a there is definitely a percentage between twenty and thirty percent of genetic link that will be that will affect a child. We try to go back about three generations and look at whether it's parents, grandparents, great grandparents, um, in terms of a biological connection. But you know, a genetic availability it doesn't cause it. It okay. makes it easier to develop. And one of the biggest reasons that it makes it easier to develop is that a kid who comes from a family where there's been addiction of any sort is going to like a substance more. They just naturally will respond more. Their brain is going to respond more in a pleasurable way than someone who doesn't have it in their family. So it's something that kids will say, why me? Because somebody else uses substances more than me even, and they don't seem to have a problem. Once you are introduced to a substance that you like, that you respond to, it's pretty hard to forget what that feeling was. Right. And, and is, so this, is it the same with alcohol and drugs? It's the, or same, is alcohol- it's the same, yes, because alcohol is a drug and it's an addictive mm-hmm. drug. It's just legal. Um, but, but what we do find is that certain personalities are more attracted to certain drugs than others. Mm-hmm. Those certain personalities are more interested in hallucinogens, let's say marijuana smokers often are much more interested in an experience that is related to fantasy, whereas people who tend to be more anxious and irritable are more drawn to alcohol. That said, once you develop a ritualized use of any of those substances and you don't have them available anymore, it becomes easy to move over to a different substance. You can switch seats. It, right. Even though your favorite, your let's call it your drug of choice, is one or the other. But generally, there is a, a kind of personality that responds more to one than the other. And what about environmental stuff? You know, because you always read about, um, you know, children that have gone through big emotional transitions in their mm-hmm. life, like divorce or a death, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. certainly trauma. Um, Mm -hmm. how how much do they factor into whether or not that child grows into an addict? Right. So it it factors in a lot in that if you look at the major risk factors, they are mental health issues like depression, anxiety, personality factors, genetic factors, and then trauma, 
And trauma comes in what we call little t and big t. In other words, there are the small kind of microaggression that everybody suffers um, starting at an early age that will affect some kids more than others. And then there are major traumas, major things like a natural disaster, like the death of a, an important person in the family that will really upend somebody's sense of equilibrium. So certainly, you know, what we know about trauma now is that what it does to the brain can be so debilitating for a young child because they're just not equipped. They don't have that kind of resiliency. So we often overlook what happens with a a young child in trauma because they appear to adjust. Mm -hmm. You'll have someone who um, talks about a five-year-old after a divorce and they'll say, you know, my five-year-old is just amazingly mature about this and really doesn't have a problem with it at all. Well, that's because at five, you're really interested in pleasing your parents and having no conflict at all. So you don't even access the depth of of your loss until you're a little older. And so trauma for sure is is a problem. So let me let me break down the brain a little bit. When there is trauma, let's say, or environmental factors um, that happen to you in your youth, when you get older and you're a teenager and your frontal lobe hasn't completely developed and you take risks and everything we know about teenagers, are you trying to numb the pain? Is it is it the substance a numbing mechanism or an escape mechanism? What is it? It's all all of those. It's all of those. those, Whatever works for you. So this is partly why it is really so important for parents to try to not have their child exposed to addictive substances at an early age. Because as I said, once you introduce that into a very fragile brain, which is what all kids have, uh, it it is very hard to turn away from that when you want it to be numbed, when you want to escape. If you have a memory of what that felt like, you're going to be drawn to going back to that if, if you have access to it. So, you know, once you discover it, once it's introduced to you, it, it becomes... It's hard a, to a undiscover very, it. It's hard to undiscover it. So yeah. then it becomes a question of access and keeping kids away from it. But really, all addic- as I said before, if we, we have studies that have shown that if you could prevent kids from using any addictive substance until they're around 22, 23, you eradicate addiction. It doesn't exist. Oh because my God, the brain, that's... Which is dramatic, right? Yeah. Because the brain is so much stronger and resilient when you are in your early 20s than it is when you are 12 or 13. So parents, well-meaning parents who are thinking, I just need to teach my child how to drink alcohol during a dinner, for example, so that when they get to college, they won't make a fool of themselves. Well, it doesn't work like that. If you have a brain that's really responsive to a substance, whether you start when you're 13 uh, or you're or later, mm-hmm. there's there's likely to be a problem, you know? So it's not that we can teach kids how to use responsibly. There's kind of no such thing. So let me ask you this, because um, another thing I hear a lot as a parent is, particularly with teenagers, that the idea of uh, trying drugs or drinking, binge drinking, everyone says, well, it's a rite of passage, mm-hmm. um, which has always been kind of a strange um, phrase to me, but people say, oh, it's part of being a teenager or, you know what? I bought the kids lots of alcohol. They're, you know, they're having a party and that's just what teenagers do. Um, yeah. 
I know you have a lot to say. I could tell by your face. (laughs) Well, you know, it's so interesting. That whole, that idea, which I know is very popular, I think is starting to change uh, as people get more educated around what causes addiction to begin with and that access is important. And if you have parents providing alcohol to underage kids, the, the kids automatically get the message that the parents are really okay with that. Right. They're not okay with being drunk. They're not okay with drunk driving. But if you want to drink at home with us, there's an illusion of safety mm-hmm. when the parents are, are included. So the parents have the feeling that they are protecting their child by keeping them at home, letting them get high at home. Their thinking is better than if they're out there. In terms of addictive process in the brain, the brain doesn't care whether you're at home in your bedroom or out on the street or in college. It's that's a whole other experience. So uh, the the ways that parents who don't understand addictive process, the ways that they try to protect their kids, the well-meaning ways often sort of feed into a mixed message about what what they're really trying to say. Parents want their kids safe, and they often don't understand that. You can't give addictive substances to a young brain without some sort of a cost involved. And the second piece of that is that a lot of parents get overly involved with their kids to begin with. And they are assuming that they know how to train a child to to be responsible with their, their use, for example. They think they actually know how that child's brain works. And usually that's not the case. And then there's a whole psychological, emotional level on involvement with Mm -hmm. a child's life and feeling close to a child. So you'll have people talk about getting high with their child as a bonding experience. Right. Well, if it's a bonding experience, it's a problem. Right. You see it a lot in film, the cool mom who comes in with margaritas for all the teenage girls. And, you know, we sort of laugh at that, but there's, there is something tragic about it. Um, But also tragic about needing to drink a margarita with your daughter's friends. Well, yes. Right. I mean, that's yes. the other piece of it. Is that yes. neat? What, what is that neat about? So, yeah, I'm 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 still infantilizing my kids. So there, I have an 18 year old <laughs> that I want to make cookies with, and she want you know she wants me to get out of her room. <laughs> but you know, it's funny that our culture we insist you know we insist on seatbelts and helmets when we bike, and you know sunscreen and all the precautions one takes to keep your kids safe and healthy. And yet, for some reason. The the alcohol and substance abuse, that seems to be something that people don't prepare their children for as much mm-hmm. as everything else, which is somewhat disturbing and uh, shocking to me. You know, I think if you've had it in your family or you've, uh, you've been aware of it with, let's say, one of your child's friends or a, a friend of yours and their family, if you know of it more firsthand, you have a very different approach mm-hmm. because that's the kind of parent who says, there's no way I'm going to allow my family to go down that path because I've seen where it goes and I don't want to even take the risk. If it seems to have not touched you, then you are more the way you described. Right. You know, there's a more, there's a more relaxed attitude and, and the feeling that, well, it couldn't happen to us because we're not that kind of family. You know, we're not that kind of parent. It wouldn't happen to my child because my child would never do X, Y, Z. So, uh, you know, addiction and accidents related to, to substances, they are really accidents. They are not, you know, no one wakes up in the morning and says, how can I really ruin my future? It, it's so subtle how this develops. And, it, mm-hmm. and people really have trouble seeing what they don't want to see. 
We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. It's all you. With lightweight construction and technology that smooths, shapes, and supports, these silhouettes are designed to conform to your curves for a natural-looking fit. Experience unlined perfection with the Invisible Lift Demi Bra, a style that moves with you and is nearly undetectable under clothes. Or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Unbelievable and unforgettable, there's more to explore when it comes to Body by Victoria. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44. That's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease. With three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and a leg room that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident that you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern, spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including a standard digital key, an available panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and, like, so simple? And what else was it going to—like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Welcome back with more Go Ask Allie. I would think that teenagers are very susceptible because they're dealing with, you know, mood swings and hormones Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to fit in and social anxiety. I mean, I can understand how a drug could be so seductive, particularly at this time in life. 
Yes. Yes. So, you know, there used to be a joke about people in 12 step programs that um, people would say, well, I, you know, I have anxiety disorder. If you went to an AA meeting, probably 90% of the people in an AA meeting could qualify as having a, the, a diagnosis of a generalized anxiety disorder because anxiety right. feeds a need for calm and a need for peace. And alcohol, what, as I said, once you discover it, nothing is going to work as quickly as alcohol. You know, not talking to a therapist or reading a book or taking a bath or going for a walk, nothing is going to work as quickly mm -hmm. as a mood altering drug. So it becomes so easy to get involved. And it, it is really accidental. It is people are innocent victims until it takes hold. And then there's a whole other, you know, psychological, emotional component in, in terms of shame and feeling like they did something wrong because they got dependent on this right. substance, but it happened so subtly they didn't know. And the families often don't know it's happening. And so, and, and they can move from one to another, obviously. They can, they can go from something softer into something harder. And I think yes. about like in California where, you know, marijuana is legal, there is mm -hmm. one less barricade for teenagers in that sense too. And I've, I've known yes. friends that have had kids that are started with marijuana and then got more addicted to harder substances. Well, you know, this is one of those things nobody wants to believe. If you have a child who is just getting high on weed, you don't want to believe that there is a, a greater risk for it becoming more serious with, with harder drugs. But let me just say that if you have a, an emotionally, psychiatrically fragile kid, that kid is not going to do well with weed. Weed is enough. Weed is enough to cause a psychotic break, to cause kids to commit crimes, to do things they would never, ever, ever do if they were not psychotic. Right. And that's a, there's a link there. It's not to say that weed causes the psychotic break. It's to say that a kid who is fragile to begin with, once they start regularly using a substance, even weed, because people seem to think it's so benign, that's enough. They don't need... They don't need heroin. They don't need cocaine. They don't need a hallucinogen. That's enough. So, you know, from my point of view, we, we talk about really about 10% of the population gets addicted. Mm -hmm. Of that 10%, only about 10% get decent treatment. But even if it's only 10% of the population that gets addicted, if it's in your family, it's not 10%. It's 100%. Oh. And so then then it doesn't matter. You know, the statistics don't matter. The anecdotes don't matter. You have it in your family. So everyone is affected. You know, siblings are affected by all the energy that gets taken up by that one kid. You know, finances are affected. It's horrifically expensive to get really good treatment over the long haul. And most of the time, treatment is a long process. It's not yeah. 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. So, another myth that people think, oh, well. Well, right. You know, in my work, I always think if people understood how painful and heartbreaking it can get, uh, they would work much harder on the front end right. to do some of these things that we're talking about, you know, to just protect their kids for a time. And as I said, you know, once they're 22, 23, 24, they're they can relax. Everybody can relax a bit, but much more because they're not going to damage their brains like they do when they're younger. Now, this is a very hard message. If somebody's regularly using weed, they don't want to hear this. Yeah. They're not interested. But so. it's also so interesting what you're saying about having to kind of, you know, front load all that focus mm -hmm. because 
you know, I think a lot of parents are guilty of, you know, not my kid, not my kid. And then their kid becomes addicted and then they go, oh God, now we have to do something. Um, Because like you said, when we started, when you have younger kids, the last thing you're thinking about is that, you know, you're thinking about, you know, potty training and all kinds of other things. You're thinking about preschool and also parents blame themselves so much. You you don't want to think that you could actually have that problem because you're going to feel like you did it. You're going to feel like it's your fault. Of course. And Um, that's a, a whole other terrible thing that parents have to go through. Yeah. Well, I have a friend going through it now. So tell me about, um, when we talk about drugs, we have alcohol in, in mm-hmm. one column. When we talk about drugs, it seems to me there's the mar- marijuana and cocaine and, you know, like crack. I don't I don't even know if people still do crack, but, you know, they're all those kind of strong things. But we also have a big opiate addiction. And also yeah. one of the things I hear more and more is people or kids, teenagers taking prescription medication from their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. bathrooms. So mm-hmm. uh, I know somebody who a kid went into cardiac arrest because mm-hmm. they had snorted Adderall, which is an ADHD mm-hmm. drug. Mm-hmm. So f- in terms of kind of what the landscape looks like now, what are you, what are sort of big red flags for you? Well, there's a lot of use of pharmaceuticals. Kids are getting from one another. They get them from their parents. They get them on the street uh, that kids are smart drugs. In other words, Adderall, Ritalin, to help kids study. And certainly we know that you can get much more alert. You can, you know, do a lot more if you're running around on an amphetamine like Adderall, but the kids who have been officially diagnosed with something like ADHD, for example, it does not rev them up. That, that, you know, taking it appropriately will prevent substance problems later for most of those kids because they're appropriately medicated. But for kids who are using it kind of illegitimately or because they want to take a test or all the different ways that people can, um, they're getting it from a lot of different sources. They're using it selectively. They're thinking, I'll just use it for this test or I'll just use it for this all-nighter I have to pull to get this paper done you develop a taste for it because you feel so energetic and there is a euphoria attached. And um, so is that you, is that part of the recreational? Like if somebody's at a party snorting Adderall, what is that so doing Adderall, to them? Adderall, amphetamines, if you take them, especially with alcohol, you get sort of double, triple the effect. So Adderall will increase the effects of alcohol. Um, and vice versa. So you end up with a big buzz. So this is what happens with, for example, Xanax, mixing Xanax or any of the benzodiazepines with alcohol. You get high. You don't just calm down, which is what you might use uh, Xanax for legitimately. You you actually have a much bigger effect. Uh, by the way, this is one of the risk factors with adolescents is they don't use like adults use. They use for a mood change and they're interested in a mood change as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. They're not interested in titrating, slowly getting somewhere. They want to get there now. And so this is where you get the notion of several shots, you know, go to a bar, have several shots. They're not having one shot. They're having six or seven because they really just want the mood change. So it is very different from a mature adult who decides to have, you know, wine with their fish 
It's not, or, or right. even go to or, a, or a, a Xanax on an airplane. Or, or a Xanax on an airplane, <laughs> yeah. right. It's a very different thing. I know a lot of parents don't understand that about their kids. They really think they're using it like they would use it. Mm -hmm. And the effect is very different. So, you know, it's a difficult thing to educate about because people don't want to, they don't want to hear that. Are there, and there must be, differences between a child who is smoking pot and taking mushrooms to a child that is abusing prescription, man-made, chemically-induced pharmaceutical drugs? A difference in terms of well, in, in terms of what they're doing to their body and their brain. For some reason, in my mind, and this is just based on on things I've read, that the the chemical, the the opiates, the um, the clonopins, the oxycontin, all those drugs that mm-hmm. are completely synthetic are a lot more dangerous to a teenage brain than, let's say, uh, plant based drugs. No, I wouldn't agree with that. I mean, obviously, if you're talking about an opiate, that has a very intense effect. And so mm-hmm. that's going to affect a teenage brain. But again, don't forget, we're talking about a teenage brain. So whether right. you're talking synthetics or whether you're talking plant-based, the brain is affected. I think the difference, you know, most kids uh, who have never used any drugs at all don't start with an opiate. They, they're not popping a couple of, of, of anything, really. Mm-hmm. They're usually starting on something much milder or what they think of as milder. Uh, so in terms of the difference, uh, certainly, you know, you're hurting your brain no matter what you're using, if it has an addictive property to it, which all of those drugs do whether it's money or drugs or a peer group that has access. Access and supervision are two of the big, big hallmarks to helping kids with substance problems. Once they have disposable money and you're not tracking it, you don't know what they're spending it on, they have access to kind of whatever they want. Yeah. Do antidepressants um, not the help? Same. Not the same. Not the but, same. But do they it's help the in terms of addiction? Well, so here's the interesting thing is if you have a child who seems depressed and they're also, let's say, using a lot of marijuana or they're using it several times a week, it's very hard to know how much of that presentation of no motivation, flatness, looking depressed, not being able to get out of bed, uh, argumentative, irritable, moody, it's very hard to know how much of that is related to the drug and how much of it is actually real organic depression. And so it's it's just tough to diagnose. So if you end up with taking an antidepressant and you're also medicating yourself with weed, again, we don't really know whether the antidepressant is working. To get it to, to really do an accurate study on that, you'd have to have them off of the weed. And by the time your child is presenting as depressed, if they're a regular weed smoker, they don't want to stop the weed, because that has become a ritualized favorite go-to thing that they do that brings them relief of all sorts that's connected to their peer group. So it's not so easy to have somebody stop using something like weed because you want to get a trial of antidepressants going and see if that would help. So then you have a whole social construct uh, involved in the mix that, again, makes it harder to make a change. Right. Let's look at um, how you can tell if your teen is on drugs, because uh, there are some of the signs that you just mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. They are skipping school. They're sleeping late. They're not well-groomed. They're argumentative, like you said. 
What are what are some other signs that may not be as obvious? So you, it, it can be hard to know. There are a lot of parents who will say they, they have no idea what their child looks like when they're high. And then you have some parents who say, oh, yeah, I know. I know when it's happening. So the signs are things like, as you, as you pointed out, things like lethargy, you know, no motivation, seeming depressed, dropping activities that they used to love, losing a kind of joy and a kind of uh, enthusiasm for a lot of different things. Sports go by the wayside often, like really good athletes who start to get involved in a substance will lose interest. Um, their, their peer group often changes. Mm-hmm. So they will drop the kids from they used to be friends with, or they will see them less and they'll go more toward this other group. Parents often don't know this other group because they might come from a different school. In high school, it can be hard to trace because kids are, high schools are drawing from a lot of different places. You don't always know their parents. So that change in peer group can, can be an indication. Money, you know, money that's missing, money that's getting spent, but you can't really account for it. Speaking of, you did, I know you did a, a, a podcast on uh, social media uh, as well as the body image one. And, you know, this falls right into the same. They all can really co- coincide, all these different issues, because there are a lot of, there's a lot of social media now that is very drug-related. And there are a lot of ways to get money, for kids to get money uh, that, they, that their parents don't know about that is connected to social media or connected to an app, for example. Selling something. So, so you mean selling something like my cashmere sweater, a a used cashmere cashmere sweater? sweater Or like a picture or like a picture of you. Uh, You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of that going on right now that didn't exist a few years ago. And so parents are discovering that their child has all this money all of a sudden that they, they can't understand. And it's because they're involved in some sort of, uh, you know, clandestine social media. So are you Um, talking pornography? It can go there. Yeah. You know, there's certainly, there's certainly that. Uh, And then several steps before that. So where you can really get a a very naive young adolescent who just wants some attention, who doesn't really understand much else that's going on about that. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I, I had a bunch of teenage girls were over at our house the other day and one of them said, um, Oh my God, somebody DM'd me on social media and said they would give me um, $300 if I sent them photos of my feet. And everybody was kind of laughing. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound very good. You know, but they, to them, it was like, how easy is that? I send them some photos of my feet and I get money. So, well, so that's where, that's sort of where it starts. Okay. It starts with the feet. Okay. Yeah. It works (laughs) its way up. (laughs) And then it works. So that is, yes, that's a, that's become a popular a site that, uh, again, parents have no clue a lot of this is going on. You know, when I talk about access and supervision, that's the piece about supervision is, especially during the pandemic, where everybody's on top of everybody else, and everybody needs some privacy and, and should have some. But there's also the naivete of a young adolescent who is, you know, with their computer in their room. You don't know what is mm-hmm. you don't know who um, is the predator in there and you're trying to keep them safe and yet you want them to be able to make their own decisions. It's just very tough on parents. Yeah. All right. So let me, let's go through a scenario. 
let's pretend I have a teenage boy, which I don't. Um, but that way, my neither of my teenage girls goes, were you talking about me? Uh, I have a teenage boy named Timmy, and Timmy is sort of skipping school. Now we are in a pandemic, and so he spends a lot of time in his room. Um, I start to suspect that he's taking stuff. He's just, he's not the Timmy he used to be. Um, do I snoop? Do I rifle through his stuff? Do I look for evidence of drugs? Is that the first step? So... You know, it's a tough, it's such a tough question. Parents are generally horrified at the suggestion that you might have to look in somebody's room because they are so um, focused on the idea of trust. You have to think about who's losing whose trust in a case like that. In other words, you wouldn't probably feel the need to look unless there was some secrecy that was making you nervous. Mm-hmm. And so that really becomes that sort of on the child is why is why is he being so secretive? What's he hiding? If he denies it repeatedly and he yet he seems withdrawn, he seems different. Some parents, you know, depending on the degree of fear they have, will start to look. I so would. I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not saying one should look or one shouldn't look. I'm saying more, you have to, it's a double-edged sword because on one hand it is, you can trust your gut that you basically probably know your kid and you know, you know whether they're anxious, you know whether they're insecure, you know whether they have trouble making friends, you know that they tend to be argumentative or defensive and that they can't take feedback or that they're just uncomfortable in their skin. That you know. You don't necessarily know whether they're using anything, but you know enough about their risk factors to be worried. And then they're secretive and you start suspecting things. It usually doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, most parents are not that paranoid about this. They are accused of it. They're always accused of being paranoid, but they're not wanting to find this. It's more the opposite. It's more that it's around them and they they have trouble seeing it because they don't want to see it. Right. So I think based on your fear, you follow your your instinct to do what you need to protect your child. They're not going to like it. You know, it's another problem in terms of trust. What I see is people do it when they get very desperate and they're, you know, just very afraid that they're missing something. And then once they do discover it, they feel stupid. That right. they should have looked earlier, that they, they should have known. Yeah. So and they, nobody ever says, I'm glad I didn't know all that. They always say, I wish I'd known earlier because mm-hmm. intervening earlier is so much easier than later. And with substance use, the more you do it, the more deeply involved you get. And the more deeply your brain is affected. A good way to think about substance use is that it's a thinking problem, much more than an actual drinking problem, drug problem. It changes the way you think. And it changes the way you use your defenses, it, the way you deal with people. So it, that in itself, if you have a child who's becoming really defensive and argumentative and seems to always uh, be negative, excessively negative, there's something going on with his thinking. Right. And that's enough to help you maybe get him some help, not even specifically drug-related, right. but just more mental health, emotional health, too much stress, what's going on. And I find that that's a really good gate for parents to use is, is speaking from the idea that you, you're not dealing with something. There's right. something too stressful in your life. You seem really upset. You seem sad. You're not yourself. So it's a mental uh, health issue. We look at it. It's a mental first. health issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a mental health issue. There's no such thing as an isolated drug problem. Now a quick word from our sponsors. 
Discover new technology and endless comfort with Victoria's Secret's number one collection, Body by Victoria. With over 3,500 five-star reviews, see what all the hype is about when it comes to their best-selling styles. Their latest innovation provides support where you need it without an ounce of padding. It's all you. With lightweight construction and technology that smooths, shapes, and supports, these silhouettes are designed to conform to your curves for a natural-looking fit. Experience unlined perfection with the Invisible Lift Demi Bra, a style that moves with you and is nearly undetectable under clothes. Or comfortably reduce your bust line by up to one inch with the Invisible Lift Minimizer Bra. Unbelievable and unforgettable, there's more to explore when it comes to Body by Victoria. Available in cups A through G and bands 30 to 44. That's 43 sizes in 22 styles. Shop now at your nearest Victoria's Secret store and online at victoriasecret.com. You need a vehicle that can meet your family's needs, and Toyota has you covered. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a midsize SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander never makes you choose between passengers and cargo. You can fit both with ease. With three spacious rows and available seating for up to eight, and a leg room that makes even long trips comfortable. With Grand Highlander's available 362 horsepower hybrid max powertrain on limited and platinum trims, you can be confident that you have the power, acceleration, and efficiency needed for almost any adventure your family can cook up. And you'll get where you're going in style with a modern spacious cabin that's perfect for both playdates and date nights. Impressive tech upgrades take the new Grand Highlander to the next level, including a standard digital key, an available panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen. Don't just live life. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learned something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Welcome back to Go Ask Alley. Let's get back to the discussion. Have you found that in the pandemic, because of the uncertainty of the world, there's an increase in drug take, an increase in addiction? Well, certainly it's easier to find because everybody's living together. It's a little easier to uncover. It's not so easy to hide. Uh, I think that the stress of families when kids are subjected to the stress of their parents and ha- and see how their parents handle things in addition to their own stress and how they're managing, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so I, sure. I would assume too with, with the parents being stressed and families being fractured because they've lost jobs or somebody's died right. in the family. I mean, you know, right. COVID's really, you know, 
yeah, it's an overwhelming situation for normal minds to manage, much less somebody who's more vulnerable. I would assume <laughs> so adults adults are probably taking more drugs yes. and drinking more oh, now. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And what do you say yeah. to um, parents uh, who see other children that they suspect have a drug problem? Do you tell those parents? If I see a friend of my daughter's maybe who uh, I think is has an addiction problem, is it my place to say something? I mean, I'm terrified of doing that, but well, you know, if you go back to the idea of it takes a village, which I do believe it does, I think yeah. we all need to watch out for everyone's one another's children. I would want that for mine, and you'd probably want somebody to go to you and say something. Absolutely. Even if you don't, even if you don't like the message, you'd rather know sooner. It's a terrible feeling to know that the whole town knows about your child, the whole school knows, and you don't know. Mm-hmm. So, I think depending on you know what you're on the peer group that you're in, you know a lot of parents get together at the beginning of a school year, parents of teens, and they will talk about these things and they'll say, okay, do we want to kind of make a pact that if we hear something, if we notice something uh, about one of our kids, are we all okay with us talking about it and and bringing it to the forefront um, as a way to kind of jointly own this problem and really take care of one another instead of being so isolated and feeling as though there's there's a lot of shame in there that you're trying to protect. So I think that's a really good way. Does it actually have, work? Yeah. Oh, it works. It does. I'm, it works. It works because I will have kids say to me, oh, you know, I, everything was fine until my parents started talking to everybody, all the other parents. And now I can't get away with anything. And they say it with a combination of irritation and also pride. Yep. That they're and being relief, taken care I'm of. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the other thing to keep in mind is a lot of kids get in situations that they don't really want to be in and they don't know how to get out of. Mm -hmm. We don't teach good refusal skills with our kids. We don't teach them how to say no in a way that is uh, tactful enough that they don't break off a relationship. That's hard for adults as well as for kids. Yeah, I actually think there should be strategies for parents. I mean, I know that we've sat down with our kids and we've said, look, you, you don't particularly like to drink. You don't like the taste of alcohol. So hold a, you know, a red plastic cup of ginger ale. Nobody needs to know what you're drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, we've gone through all the scenarios. If you're at a party and your best friend's really drunk and her parents are strict and you don't know what to do, call us, call us, call us. But, you know, that was sort of, um, that was not the case of my childhood. So it, and it's not like somebody instructed me that it felt like an intuitive thing to say to my daughter's just call me. Mm-hmm. We can handle anything. We can deal with anything. I just don't want you to be in danger in any way. Um, right. So the so yeah. the other thing you will see with a healthier family is the, an ability to talk about these things and an ability for kids to come home from a party and say, it was this, it was that. And, you know, I was a little worried about so-and-so, um, but here's what happened. That's a real opportunity for the parent to respond in the right way. So they encourage the conversation instead of shutting it down. So if they're shocked, if they're saying, that's such a, that kid, you can't ever see that kid again. You know, this is terrible. They're bad, i.e. we're good. Mm-hmm. Any of that sort of judgment is, is a disaster. But, but you can really engage your kids in a conversation where there's no judgment, but you're just interested. You're interested and you're curious about them and how people cope with things. Another really good thing to do is sort of role play with them that you're the best friend and you're the wasted one. 
or you're the sane one and the other one isn't and help them practice scenarios. What would they do at a time like that? You know, how do they have a particular code word if they're calling you that means this is trouble, come get me out of here. All of those kinds of preparations make people feel safer and practicing um, is a is a great thing to do. It's just that I find it in a lot of families, they're afraid to do that. Mm-hmm. They're afraid that they're going to encourage something that their their kids are going to take something away that they didn't mean. But becoming comfortable with open conversation is is a kind of protector. Okay, good. Because anyway, you want them to go to you. You don't want them to be stuck in a situation. You know, I should say, everybody should instruct their kids that if they're with a friend who passes out from an alcohol or drugs, they have to go straight to 911 yeah. emergency room. They can't presume that it's just, they just need to let them sleep it off or that it's right. not a big deal. I'll put them in an Uber. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's one other thing besides social media that I didn't grow up with that I do not understand, but I'm scared of it, is vaping and juuling. My, my mm-hmm. kids had to teach me the difference between vaping and juuling. But also, you know, everything we've read is they are also gateways to drug. They are another way to get your your system addicted. How do we stop that? That seems to be something everyone's big, doing in a, every yeah. bathroom and every school all the time. You can't smell so it. It's a huge, it's a huge problem uh, because the uh, industries that are creating, that have manufactured these products know that they have uh, a, a huge population, a huge um, sale on their hands because they're really targeting kids. You know, they will say that they're targeting adults. They're targeting kids. And so when they taste like cookies and cream, it's not for adults. Right. So, you know, again, I think it's the same message as before with nicotine. Um, A lot of families I know are just as upset about nicotine as they are about marijuana or anything else because they see it as so addicting. And it is true. And the studies will show that the earlier a kid is smoking cigarettes, for example, or getting a nicotine fix, the earlier, the bigger risk factor for later drug use. So, it's it's a big problem. And I can remember a few years ago having parents early on in the vaping subject um, who were adamant that wanted their child to not vape. And, you know, the child was furious because all of his friends were doing it. And they just kind of stuck to their guns about this because they felt so strongly. They had addiction in the family. They were really determined. And it paid off in the end, but it was very tough because a lot of his friends were doing it. And so he was feeling like, an outsider, um, that his parents weren't allowing it. These are the things in our culture that are very difficult to really sort of separate out who's, who can really be a mature adult and see something as a third eye mm-hmm. versus someone who gets overly invested in their kid's success and, and is afraid to see what's there. So then they can't help them. It's, it's funny because I was, uh, I went away to boarding school at 13 and survival in boarding school was smoking cigarettes. That sort of separated the men from the boys. So I, mm-hmm. I started smoking for survival so I could be mm-hmm. in the butt room with the cool girls. And that started yes. at 13, 14. And I didn't quit till I got married in my early 30s mm-hmm. and got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't. I, I mean, I smoked a pack of Camel right. Lights a day. And what's interesting right. is that my kids 
think it's the most disgusting thing they've ever heard. They cannot believe that I smoked cigarettes and how gross was I and they can't wrap their head around it. I mean, they really, they turn into my parents mm-hmm. and they're very mm-hmm. judgmental and mm-hmm. which is, which is interesting to me, but yet nobody was watching me at 13. No one cared, you know, right. and it was. And, and what about, and what about um, the vaping that, that, so they see, they saw the cigarette smoking is really disgusting, but not vaping. No, they think vaping and juuling is disgusting too. Okay. Thank God. But they certain, but they, but they've told me that, you know, everybody does it. And the great thing or not the great thing, but the positive thing for people that are vaping and juuling is you can't detect it. Now, when I smoked cigarettes, I mean, even when I first married my husband, you know, I could take three showers and brush my teeth and eat a green apple and he could immediately smell that I had a cigarette, but you can hide the other stuff so much better. And that's why the rate of addiction goes up so, so quickly with them because they can, because in the old days you did it, you had to hide it because it did smell. And so you could only do it at certain times and you had to be very careful how you used it. So that automatically limits your use. Now there's no limit to the use. You can use it all day long and no one really knows. So that means that the addiction rate goes way, way, way up. So it doesn't take long to become really addicted to nicotine, let's say. By the way, Jewel and, and, uh, uh, you know, pods, you can, there's marijuana in there as well. Like right. You can switch things out. So whether they're getting nicotine or whether they're getting uh, weed, there's, there's something that they're getting and it's being ingested in the lung. So I don't know. I'm sure you've seen all the recent studies on trying to alert people to the dangers of vaping with COVID. Yes. And the high risk factor. Oh my and, God, yes. Yeah. And, you know, young people, again, they, they're not, their brains are not developed enough to even believe that that could happen. Right. So I I think as a parent, you just have to say, you know, in terms of juuling and vaping, no, absolutely not. I think you have to say no. And I think you have to explain why. And you have to ask that they trust you that you know a little bit more because of your advanced age or all of your experience that you're hoping that they can trust that you're out for their best interests. Because the message would be mixed if you said, well, you can do it a little bit, but just don't do it too much. That's where parents get in trouble. They try to be reasonable. And what the kid is hearing is it's okay. You know, if they're saying I can have one vodka um, on a Saturday night, basically what they're saying is it's okay to have vodka. That is how an adolescent translates that message. So the parent means just a little and don't get out of control. The kid doesn't hear that yeah. because their brain, they, their, their thinking is not evolved to that point yet. So a lot of this is about how do you translate between the generations? You know, are you sure you're delivering a message that they can actually hear versus what you think you, you're doing? Does scare, so it, does scare tactics work with parents? No. 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 Scare tactics don't, don't so work. So showing, showing um, them a picture of lungs after vaping is not going to have a big effect on them? Well, it affect it, it certainly may it certainly had an effect on me, but I don't think it has a, that much of an effect. All the studies have shown that scared straight and those techniques aren't really that effective. But the great thing about adolescents is that they're very sensitive to hypocrisy. So they can spot uh, something disingenuous very right. quickly. And once they spot it in their parents especially, then they're out for blood. Then they will debate you to the end because they have found your weak spot. 
again, it's part of their own moral development is being able to ferret out what's hypocritical, you know, why unfairness, you know, justice. It's why debate teams are so popular in high school, because really the brain of that adolescent stage is primed to argue and to research your point of view and to fight for what you want. So it's, it all kind of works together. But when it comes to drug use, um, it's, it's, it's humorous in a way how much, how very passionate they can be with their research, which of course is self-selected because they went to certain sites to get their research. They didn't go to the other sites. Um, but that's all right. It's still part of their, their own intellectual development, which I think is a really great thing about talking about something with kids yeah. that age is they have a, they have a way to see right through to something that's fake. So scared straight, even though it's of course true that people can have horrific experiences because of it and they see as a manipulation mm-hmm. and you know, they're not wrong. Right. So I, in terms of um, taking Timmy through all this and we've, we've, uh, he has a problem. I've gone into his room. I found the drugs. There are innumerable treatment centers. There's all kinds of hotlines um, for people who need help. But I want to just end this podcast by emphasizing a few of the things that you said, which I think are really important, which is to uh, to educate our kids even before the age where they would probably start uh, experimenting with drugs. Yes, but I think it's more important to educate the parents. You know, I think, I think the parent, if the parents feel confident in a point of view, then it's much easier for the kids to follow. If the parents are are ambivalent, they're not sure they had a wild childhood and they turned out fine. Be in your particular case, it's almost a problem because you look at you and yet you can say you had this, this experience when you were younger. So it would be easy for kids like yours to say, well, you're fine. Yeah, but it's their father. Their father was perfection never did anything so i always we emphasize him (laughs) so you (laughs) but you can see how it's important for the parents to 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 know what they're doing to have a policy of their own it's not easy to do but that is i think the the key is with the parents and also to be very clear and concise about what their thoughts about like we talked before about you know not a drink here maybe a drink there or you know not to be wishy-washy clear yep Right. Because, you know, kids will get help when the parents are ready for them to get help. If the parents aren't ready, it's not happening. So I do think the power, the center of power is with the parents, even though they might feel disempowered, they might feel as though no one's listening to them. They have so much more influence on their kids than they might think. And then when they are in those adolescent years to communicate with them. To, com- to be able to talk with them. And if you're really worried, you know, if you think there's a problem, to be able to say, you know, I'm too worried as your mother or your dad. I'm uncomfortable. You might be comfortable, Johnny, but I'm uncomfortable with this. And I think we need to go see somebody and just get a get an assessment and see what somebody what a professional thinks. Um, not a problem. Let's just do that, and then we'll take it from there. So you really try to not raise a flag of panic. You try to not. You definitely don't start accusing somebody of you know, being a drug addict Mm -hmm. or anything inflammatory, you try to take it from the point of view of, we see you're struggling and we want to get you help and help is available and we don't stop. We don't give up. Right. So it's lots of opportunities to model that. um, How do you handle a problem in a family? 
Um, so yes, there's stigma. Yes, there's shame. But if you, I think if you're really well educated about it, you can rise above that. There's a lot of great help. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are a lot of parent groups. There are, there's a lot of support. Um, but it's a, it's a tough uh, initiation. It's a lot, you know, there's a lot of information. I, I can never... But it's obviously you get me started. I I can't stop. No, but that's what's so great about it. But also, you know, that's why I wanted to emphasize, you know, or punctuate the things that you were saying, because I never would have thought to sort of look, look at younger kids at all. I never Mm -hmm. even, you know, Mm -hmm. talked about alcohol with my kids until they were of the age, you know. No, right. No one no one does. But you know, if you ask a kindergarten teacher or a preschool teacher, you know, can you spot the kids in your class that you think would be at risk of like emotional problems later? Um, they can tell you. That's what I mean by no one wants to do it because if they're these adorable little children and you have the impression that they have their whole lives and it's all going to be you know, sweetness and unicorns, but you can spot the children who are fragile. This happens more to children who are fragile. It's fragile kids who often develop a drug problem. And so it's such a great injustice that we do when we label them uh, in the ways we do, because it's not, it's not their fault. You know, when it's not their fault that somebody introduced them to a joint when they were 12 or a cigarette when they were 12 and they got this feeling and it made them feel better than they normally feel. It is awful to go through a childhood feeling not normal, not good, not smart, not whatever, you know, so the shame that they start to carry feeds that need for a mood change. So it's all, it's all uh, innocent and they're fragile kids and misunderstood big time. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So much for this. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. My pleasure. You have educated me in in such tremendous ways. And I hope everybody that just listened to it too got a lot of information and help. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Go Ask Allie. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And follow me in my undoctored posts on social media. I'm on Twitter at Allie E. Wentworth and on Instagram at The Real Allie Wentworth. Go Ask Alley is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 